Well, if we could uh, this evening, for a short while, if we could turn back to that passage that we read, uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and if we read again at verse 12. Romans 10 at verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Now this evening we're continuing our short series on what it means for us as a congregation to have a 2020 vision for our community. Because our calling as Christians is that we must look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. As Paul reminds us, the things that are seen, they are only temporal, but the things that are unseen, they are eternal. And so our calling as Christians is that we need to look at life and love life and live life with that eternal perspective. We need to possess a 2020 vision for our community. Because as we were saying, if we have no vision and no enthusiasm, and no zeal, and no desire, and no passion for the gospel, then we have no future. We have no future. And as we've said before, the term 2020 vision, I'm sure you're seeing it a lot, especially in the month of January, it doesn't mean that we have a perfect vision, but it means that we have clarity and sharpness in our vision. And that's what we need as we move forward into 2020. We need clarity and sharpness in our vision for our community. And so in order to possess a 2020 vision for our community, uh, we need to live with this passionate pursuit. And as, as we saw, first of all, it was a passionate pursuit for the glory of God. Because the glory of God, that is our chief end. The chief end of man is not to glorify God and enjoy ourselves, but to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, you know, from the example of Moses, we saw that in Exodus 33, we discovered that in order to have a passionate pursuit for the glory of God, we need to be praying, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me your glory. Like Moses, we need to have this longing to see the glory of God displayed in the lives of people in this community. Therefore, in order to possess a 2020 vision, we need to live with a passionate pursuit for the glory of God. But then as we saw last week from the example of Jesus in Matthew 11, we were told that in order to possess a 2020 vision, we also need to have a passionate pursuit for the gospel of God. Jesus said in Matthew 11 that the elect, they will come to salvation according to the gracious will of the Father. But our responsibility is to make the free offer of the gospel to whosoever. As Thomas Boston reminded us, Jesus Christ must be offered to all men everywhere without exception or qualification. And so in order to possess a 2020 vision for our community, we need a passionate pursuit for the glory of God, the gospel of God, 
and the go of God. The go of God. And that's what Paul reminds us from this passage this evening. That in order to possess a 2020 vision, we need to have a passionate pursuit for the go of God. And what I mean by the go of God is the go in the Great Commission. As you know, the Great Commission which Jesus issued to his church is go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. But my friend, it's only when we possess a 2020 vision that we'll seek to fulfill our great commission. Because if we have a compassion for the lost, we belong to hear a confession from the lost. And we'll live our lives knowing that we have a commission to the lost. If we have a compassion for the lost, we'll long to hear a confession from the lost. And we'll live our lives knowing that we have a commission to the lost. And there are our three headings this evening. A compassion for the lost, a confession from the lost, and a commission to the lost. So first of all, a, com- a compassion for the lost. A compassion for the lost. Paul says in verse 1, chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul opens this chapter by reminding the church at Rome that he has a compassion for the lost. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And you know, when you read these words, you see that Paul's heart is beating and it's breaking for the lost. Because he has such a care and even a concern for lost souls. He has so much love for lost souls. And he has such a longing to see them saved. That Paul's desire is to make known to the lost the message of salvation. But you know, Paul, he doesn't just want this to be his desire. He wants this to be the desire of the church in Rome. Paul wants the Christians in Rome to have the same desire for lost souls in their community. Paul wants the Christians in Rome to have a passion for lost souls in their community. But you know what's so remarkable about this whole letter is that Paul's heartfelt desire for lost souls to be saved is towards people that he's never even met. Paul had never managed to visit the church in Rome. Yes, he was a prisoner in Rome, but he was never a preacher in Rome. And yet, even though Paul never managed to encourage the church in Rome in person, he encourages them here with his pen. And as you know, in his letter to the Romans, Paul, he conveys every area and every aspect of the gospel and the Christian life. He talks about being guilty without Christ. He talks, he talks about that in chapters 1 to 3. He talks about being made righteous in Christ in chapter 5. He talks about having no condemnation and no separation in chapter 8. And even talks about serving the Lord Jesus Christ uh, later on in chapter 12. So it's all here. Every aspect of the gospel and the Christian life is to be found in Paul's letter to the Romans. However, what Paul wants to make sure of is that the gospel is being shared. And the Christian life is being lived out to the glory of God. Even though he doesn't know the Romans personally. And even though he's, he's never met them face to face. Paul's desire is that lost souls will be saved. 
But you know, as those who worship in the church in Rome and live in the community of Rome, Paul wants the Christians in Rome to have this passionate pursuit for the lost souls in their community. And you know, my friend, the message that was given to the church in Rome, it's the same message that's been given to us here in Barbas tonight. We're to have a heart that is beating and breaking for lost souls. We're to have a care and a compassion towards lost souls. We're to have a love and a longing to see lost souls saved. Our heart's desire should be just like Paul. To have a longing and a desire to make known to the lost the message of salvation. Because unlike Paul, who didn't know the lost souls in his community... We know the lost souls in our community. We know the lost souls in our family. We're aware of the lost souls in our congregation. And we live and work with the lost souls that surround us in this community. You know, Paul is reminding us this evening, we need to have a compassion for the lost. We need to have a compassion for the lost. We need to be saying with Paul, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That should be our number one desire for those in our family, our congregation, and our community. Our desire above everything else, that they may be saved. Because you know, what can often happen, and I see it in myself sometimes, we become complacent. We become comfortable. We become content with the fact that those in our family, our congregation, and our community We just become complacent about the fact that they're lost. But you know, Paul, when I read these words, it's as if he said, no, 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 no. That's not the way it should be. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And what Paul says right at the beginning of his letter to the Romans, the church in Rome, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel. Why, he says, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And you know, my friend, I often wonder, even about myself, the reason we don't preach or present or communicate the gospel to lost souls, is it because we're ashamed of the gospel? Now, we might not say that openly, but consciously, in our own heart, are we ashamed of the gospel? Is the reason we don't preach or present or communicate the gospel to lost souls Because we're ashamed to stand up and speak out as a Christian. Is it because we're ashamed of Christ and ashamed to make Christ known? Because he is the gospel. And you know the words that often challenge me when I want to stay silent and say nothing at all. You know the words that challenge me are the words of Jesus when he said, Whosoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Do you know, as hard as it is and however much it takes us out of our comfort zone and makes our hands sweat and our heart beat and terrified as to what will come out of our mouth, we should never be ashamed of Christ because he is the gospel. And he's able to transform and change lives. And as Paul reminds us, he is the power of God unto salvation. But you know, sadly, as Christians and as churches, we've taken our eyes off the fact that this gospel 
is able to change hearts and transform lives. And that's often why we become ashamed of the gospel and of Christ. Now, I'm only speaking for, my, for myself and what I've struggled with myself. We become ashamed of the gospel and of Christ because we somehow, in the back of our mind, we don't really believe that the gospel can change this person and save them. We've lost sight of the power of the gospel. And when, you know, when we're ashamed of Christ and the gospel, we stay silent. We become hesitant and we don't want to say anything at all because we've lost sight of the power of the gospel. And you know, many people will say to me, well, Mardo, you're a minister, it's easy for you. People expect you to say stuff. People expect you to, to harp on at them and get in their ear. You know, that may be true, but some people avoid me altogether because I'm a minister. But you know, my friend, I'm convinced, and this is one thing I've learned. If we lived life with an eternal perspective, we wouldn't be afraid to speak about our Saviour. If we lived life thinking that this might be my only opportunity, or even my last opportunity to speak to this person, we would be more intentional in our evangelism. Because, you know, what I often find speaks to people more is not telling them that they're lost and going to hell. That, that's all good and well. But you know what speaks to people most is when you're honest with them. And you tell them that you have a genuine care and a concern for their soul. And it's then that you find that they're more receptive to what you have to say. Or if you say something to them and you remind them why you're saying it. That you have a care and a concern for them. And you know, you see Paul doing that again and again in his letters. He was never afraid to tell people how he felt about them. He was always honest with people. Always telling them and reminding them that he had a love for them. And a genuine care and a concern for their soul. He had a compassion for the lost. A compassion that we need to have too. Because my friend, when you remind people that you love them and that you have a longing to see them saved, you find that they're more receptive to what you have to say. And then when the opportunity arises and by God's grace and help, you're enabled to speak to them personally, directly, and sometimes even to the point. And you know, they take it from you because they know that you have a compassion for them. They know that you have a compassion for the lost. They know that it's all out of love for them. And so in order to possess this 2020 vision, we need to have a passionate pursuit for the go of God. We need a compassion for the lost. And secondly, we should long to hear a confession from the lost. We should long to hear a confession from the lost. A confession from the lost. That's what we see in verse 8. Paul asks, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now in these verses and the verses leading up to them, Paul emphasises that the only way that a lost sinner can be saved is by confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord. 
Uh, J.C. Riley helpfully reminds us that without confession, there is no salvation. Without confession, there is no salvation. And that's what Paul is saying here, that lost sinners must be brought to a point where they believe in their heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that they confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is their Lord. And Paul says in verse 10 that the reason a lost sinner must believe and confess is that for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Therefore, the only way for a lost sinner to be saved and justified and made righteous before a holy God is if they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is their Lord. And Paul says that it's with your heart that you believe by faith that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And when you believe with your heart, Paul says, you're justified, you're made righteous. You're made righteous by faith in Christ. That's what justification is. Question 33 in our shorter catechism. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace. Wherein he pardons all our sins. And accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ. Imputed to us and received by faith alone. It's not faith plus works. It's faith alone. So a lost sinner is justified by faith alone. And you know, as Paul wrote in the beginning of his letter, and even as Martin Luther discovered uh, what sparked the Reformation, Romans 1.16, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It's all by faith alone. It's with your heart that you believe by faith that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and you're justified. But Paul says it's not enough for a lost sinner just to believe. It's not enough. They have to confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is their Lord. Because it's only when they confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord over every area in their life, then they're saved. Because belief isn't enough to save a lost sinner. There must be a confession from the lips of their mouth. And the confession is that they've humbled themselves. They've abdicated the throne of their heart. They submitted their life to Jesus. And that they're following him. Their confession is that there's no other king. There's no other Lord. There's no other saviour except Jesus Christ. And you know with this Paul is presenting to us just the simplicity of the gospel. That lost sinners must believe and confess. But the reason Paul raises all this is because he was aware that the lost sinners in Rome thought they were already saved. They knew that they needed to believe. The, sinners, the lost sinners in Rome knew that they needed to believe in Jesus. They knew that they needed to confess the name of Jesus. But instead of doing that, many lost sinners in the congregation and the community of Rome tried to appease their conscience by helping the church. And this is what Paul is referring to back in verse 2. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And what Paul was saying 
was that the lost sinners in the congregation and community in Rome, they were seeking to save themselves and establish their own righteousness instead of submitting to the righteousness which God has provided for them. And the way they receive it is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Paul says that the lost sinners in the congregation and community of Rome, they were willing to help the church in any way that they could but they were refusing to confess Jesus Christ as their Lord. Because they'd come to the conclusion that if they helped the church, gave to the church, supported the church, that that would be enough to please God and come towards their righteous standing before God. But Paul says that by seeking to establish their own righteousness, it only proved one thing. It proved how ignorant they were of the righteousness of God Through faith in Jesus Christ. It proved how much they misunderstood the gospel. And it affirmed that the lost sinners in the congregation and community of Rome thought that if they were only good enough, they would be saved. And you know, you look at the church in Rome and you think, well, it's just the same as here, isn't it? We can see the same pattern in the lives of lost sinners of our own congregation and our own community whom we love and long to see coming to salvation. Because there are many people in our congregation and community that are seeking to save themselves and establish their own righteousness by their good works. They have a a zeal for God, as Paul says, but not according to knowledge. They're ignorant of the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. They misunderstand the gospel. And they're seeking to establish their own righteousness by helping the church and giving to the church and supporting the church and even maintaining the church. And they think that that will be enough to please God and count towards their righteous standing before God. And sadly, they stubbornly seek their self-righteousness instead of submitting To the righteousness which God has provided through Jesus Christ alone. But you know as Paul emphasises. And what what we as Christians have to teach and instruct lost sinners about. Is that the righteousness which makes us acceptable before God. Isn't a righteousness based upon works. But a righteousness received by simply believing and confessing. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know sometimes we have to strip everything out of the way. And remind ourselves what is this gospel we are presenting to people. We are only calling them to believe in Jesus. And confess him as Lord. That's the primary purpose of the gospel. What, As Paul says, as he says in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the core presentation of the gospel is believing and confessing Jesus as Lord. But you know how will we make sure that the lost in our congregation and community are not ignorant? But informed. They're not to be ignorant, but informed that they need the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ alone. (coughs) How are we to inform them? 
Well, we have to remember that we have a commission. We have a commission to the lost. We have a commission to the lost. So in order to possess this 2020 vision, we need to have a passionate pursuit for the go of God. We need a compassion for the lost. We should seek a confession from the lost. And we should remember that we have a commission to the lost. We have a commission to the lost. That's what we see lastly. See that in verse 11. The scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And you know, in this chapter, as Paul expresses his compassion for the lost in verse 1, the need for a, a saving confession from the lost in verses 9 and 10, in these verses that we've just read, verses 11 to 17, Paul reminds the Christians in Rome that they need to live their lives mindful that they have a commission to the lost. They have a commission to the lost. And as Paul makes clear, the gospel which is Jesus Christ, it's and the power of God unto salvation. Paul says it is to be offered to whosoever. There's no distinction, Paul says, between Jew or Gentile. He's the same Lord. And he bestows the same riches on all who call upon his name. As Paul says in verse 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, says Paul, our responsibility to lost sinners is to make the free offer of the gospel to whosoever. And of course, Paul knew that salvation was all a work of the Holy Spirit. He spoke about that in chapter 8. Paul knew that salvation was all according to God's gracious and electing will. He speaks about that in chapter 9. But you know, you come to chapter, chapter 10 and you realise that none of that the work of the Holy Spirit and the election of God, that doesn't take away from Paul's desire and prayer that those in the congregation and community of Rome would be saved. My friend, Paul didn't hide behind the doctrine of election, which is something many people do. The unconverted hide behind the doctrine of election, claiming that if they're going to be saved, they'll be saved and there's nothing they can do about it. But by making such a claim... And I've heard it so often. By making the claim of hiding behind the doctrine of election, they're ignoring all the gospel imperatives in the Bible. Come, ask, seek, knock, look, listen, learn, repent, believe, call, confess. They're all gospel imperatives which remind lost sinners that they can't hide behind the doctrine of election. Because they have a responsibility to respond to the gospel. And as Christians, we also have a responsibility to go with the gospel. Because we can't hide behind the doctrine of election either. We can't just say, oh well, they've no interest just now. They'll come in God's time. They'll come when the Spirit moves them. 
there cometh there in the elect. Of course, that's true. But if Paul has taught us anything from this passage in chapter 10, is that it's that our heart's desire and prayer to God should be for lost sinners to be saved. That should be our burning desire as Christians. Yes, we know, like Paul said in chapter, chapter 8, the Spirit works. As Paul says in chapter 9, God has an elect. It's all there. But our heart's desire and prayer, as Paul says in chapter 10, is that we should have this burning desire for lost souls to be saved. My friend, we're to have a heart that's beating and breaking for the lost. Out of, and out of a care and a concern, we're to have this love and this longing to see lost souls saved. And we're to be motivated, motivated by a desire to make known to the lost the simple message of the gospel. Believe and confess. And we're to do this. We're to make it known to everyone. Jesus Christ, says Boston, must be offered to all men everywhere without exception or qualification. And you know, it's for that that Paul reminds us and the church that we have a commission to the lost. If lost sinners in our congregation and community ignorantly think that they can have a righteousness before God based upon works, then we need to inform them. We need to challenge them. We need to make them think. We need to tell them that they can only be made righteous by believing and confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord. But Paul, he then questions how lost sinners are going to hear this message of righteousness. How are they going to hear about salvation if we are not obeying our commission? He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith, the conclusion is, faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. You know, Paul, he gives this chain reaction. From verses 14 to 17. One thing is knocking onto the other. And he's emphasizing that lost sinners in our congregation and community they will not be made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. They will not confess him as Lord unless they hear the message of the gospel from us. They will not do it unless they hear from us. And the responsibility falls to the church. So the goal of God is the goal in the Great Commission. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we preach with our lives. We preach with our words. We preach to the lost. That doesn't mean we stand in a pulpit. We just rub shoulders with people. Day in and day out. It's a commission to the lost. We're to go with the gospel because the gospel is Jesus Christ. And it's the power of God unto salvation. We're to make Christ known. And we're to be intentional in our evangelism. We're to build relationships. We're to cultivate relationships. We're to build friendships. We're to create contacts. We're to get involved in people's lives. We're to use ways and means. 
We're to be purposeful and practical. We're to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We're to join committees, attend clubs. We're to be a light in darkness. We're to be in the world but not of the world. We're to be separated but not segregated. We're to experience separation that's not isolation but contact without contamination. Do you know, my friend, we're to pray for opportunities and seek to use our opportunities to speak a word in season or give an invitation. And yes, it takes time. It takes energy. It takes enthusiasm. It'll cost us. And that's because evangelism is an effort. But lost souls are always worth the effort. Evangelism is an effort, but lost souls are always worth the effort. Friends, we have a commission to the lost. And so, if we're going to possess this 2020 vision for our community, we need a passionate pursuit for the glory of God, the gospel of God, and the go of God. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. We need a compassion for the lost, a longing to hear a confession from the lost. Because we all have this great commission to the lost. We have a commission to the lost. Evangelism is an effort. But lost souls are always worth the effort. Well, may the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we realise that, that without Thee we can do nothing, but that with Thee all things are possible. And Lord, our prayer this evening is that Thou wouldest give to us that heart's desire and prayer to God that they would be saved. Give to us, Lord, a compassion for the lost, that we would live life with an eternal perspective and see that we are only passing through that time is short, eternity is long, and that thou art the one who has commissioned us to go to the lost. We know that the Spirit will work. We know that the elect that thou hast chosen them. But help us, Lord, as thy people to be faithful, to serve, to be willing to tell it to the generation following that this God is our God and that he will be our guide even unto death. O Lord, give to us a passion for lost souls. Give to us a burden for those in our homes and those in our families and those, Lord, in our community, those who are our neighbours. Help us, Lord, to pray for them, to plead for them, to cry for them, to know that all eternity awaits us all. There is but one step between us and death. And help us then, we pray, to have this eagerness, this enthusiasm, this passion, all for the glory of God, for the furtherance of his kingdom, to lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, do us good then, we pray. Use us for the furtherance of thy kingdom. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We're going to bring our service to a conclusion by singing in Psalm 67. Psalm 67 in the Sing Psalms version on page 84.
Psalm 67, a prayer for God's blessing. God, be merciful and bless us. Shine upon us with your face, that the earth may know your actions and all lands your saving grace. O God, may the peoples praise you. May all peoples sing your praise. For you judge the nations justly, ruling over every race. The whole psalm to God's praise. Thank you. 